and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who deserves a statue outside of every stadium <laughs> in the entire world. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. It depends on if we're going with like a good statue or the Ronaldo statue. The whole statue. <laughs> it, it'll be a mix. It'll have some that are like a perfect likeness of you. Mm-hmm. Um, some that are you in a heroic pose. Some that are Cristiano Ronaldo and some that are James Corden of Disney. Okay. <laughs> perfect. I like I love the a little variety statue. in there. You yeah. can't have them all look looking ide- like idealized with the, the sharp chin and the jutting jaw. Yeah. Then suddenly you're a dictator, I feel like, and that doesn't really look, that's not a good look either. We do a, um, a, a positive Taylor statue outside of Old Trafford for okay. you. Okay. How about that? Yeah. yeah? It's just me like, <laughs> things no, will I'm get better. Arms folded, oh, looking okay. proud. Lots of detail on your beard. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I'll take that. You into uh, it? I, I like that more than just like me with like head hung, like head hung sadly as my dog <laughs> looks at me wondering what's the matter. That's been more so the case lately. Hung over Taylor. Also that. <laughs> Can you All get right. the bloodshot eyes into the statue? <laughs> Which is a little bit of red. Yeah. All right. Um, enough Taylor statue mm-hmm. talk, but it does relate to the first of today's listener questions. There we go. We have what I'm just going to call many yes. listener questions today. These are often our favorite shows because uh-huh. we talk about random things that we did not expect to be talking about. We sure do. For uh, example. Starting off with stadiums, yeah. JT Guads asks, what makes for a good soccer stadium? What makes for a bad one? What are some of your favorites you've been to? All right. Um, I'm going to start with the stuff that I like. In Listeners, I need to interject to say that uh, much like Keenan Thompson in his early SNL days, Daryl just mouthed the words to the question I was reading them. Did I? As I was reading them and I enjoyed it immensely. Yes, you did. I'm not aware I was doing that. <laughs> I'm not sure he is either. I also wasn't Way Kenan Thompson did that. I, I wasn't either. I, I went back. There was one. I forget which one it was, but he's very clearly reading the lines. It's what it's Tracy Morgan. Someone else's lines. It's like a Tracy Morgan, like the prison sketch with like yeah. scared straight. Oh, and yeah, he's yeah. just like in the background, like very clearly saying the lines along. So I think this is good evidence of why this is a very uh, it's a tangent. Um, mm-hmm. Evidence of why Kenan Thompson has been on that show so long mm-hmm. is he took learning the lines so seriously. Yep. He learned other people's lines. He's pretty good. He's pretty he's good. Pretty, pretty good. He is, he's been my favorite thing on SNL for years now. Yeah. Yeah. He, he can make his any, pop- anything unfunny funny. His big puppy thing yeah <laughs> incredible i mean his steve harvey come on yeah all of it yeah. that's terrific uh, anyway yeah to the stadium uh-huh. <laughs> so what makes a good soccer stadium yeah. what makes a bad one what are some of our favorites here's um I, th- I think we can answer the good and bad at the same time i like uh clear lines of sight okay i like to be able to see you no know, to buy a ticket and know whichever seat i'm in there's not a pole in the way mm-hmm. there's no there's no not obstructed there's views. no obstructed views i think yep. that is the key to a good stadium because then you can that. buy a ticket with confidence yep yeah? I, I think that's probably yeah first and foremost the most important one yep. then you kind of get into aesthetics a little bit yeah. one for me is we're we gonna uh, go back and forth i like this yeah, yeah. that works for me I, I should add i've not been to that many stadiums like especially ones outside of the united states yeah. i've been um, to fewer than people would expect yes yeah. I, i've yeah. been to the same ones a lot like a lot of time at molyneux mm-hmm. and then a lot of time at city stadium yep you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And then it's just occasional trips to other ones. Exactly. That's about yeah. where I am, except uh, less in England and everywhere else. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mostly Turkey and the United States. Uh-huh. Um, but I will say, I think I very much, from my limited experience, enjoy the close-up atmosphere. An example mm. of that I would say that I think you and I both enjoyed was uh, Audi Field, the new DC United Stadium. I think they've done a very good job of sort of putting you on top of the action. That's it's, about that's about the steepness of exactly. the stand, isn't mm-hmm. it? The seats are almost on top of each other, but yeah. not just not enough to be dangerous. Exactly. Like, I think Stanford... <laughs> 
Bridge is similar. I think the Bernabeu, uh, I shouldn't say they're similar to Audi Field, vice versa on that one, <laughs> but it's like the idea of being right up on top of it, not just because it gives you like a great vantage point, but also because it really enhances the atmosphere. I think a lot of times, especially when it comes to NFL stadiums, if you go see a preseason friendly in an NFL stadium, they're much more spread. They're much more yes. like wide out. I think a FedEx Field is yeah. a very big example of that. So you're, you're far away from the field, exactly. essentially. So one, one of the things I've got is I like a stadium where the beginning of the stand is as close as mm-hmm. is safely possible to yep. the actual field. One of the things I don't like about Molyneux is there is like a sort of a asphalty, concretey thing mm-hmm. after the grass ends. There's that ring. It's not like a running track, but it's like almost like that. Yeah. And then the stand starts. And I always think, oh, we could all be 15 yards close. We could be. You know I mean? Yeah, I, I, I love that. And then obviously the running track factors into that too. Oh, Anything yeah. with a running track, I think that immediately kills atmosphere. Yeah, you put eight lanes between you and the and the uh, and the action. Yeah, and then some. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, and especially if there's a dramatic goal, it happens all the time in Italy when they want to celebrate the goal. They got to go on a bit of a run to yeah. get to the crowd. But at least you know how far they ran. Well, that's good. <laughs> Um, one thing I really dislike mm-hmm. is nosebleeds. Okay. Um, so a stadium I've been to, I think just once, Wembley. Mm-hmm. Wembley's obviously gigantic, but that means that if you buy a ticket that's like, I kind of learned this the hard mm-hmm. way, in the upper tiers, and then you get seated not right at the front of the upper tier, you are very, very far from the action, and it's almost like not being there. You know what right. I mean? It's like getting concert tickets and you're super far away and you have to like get binoculars to yeah. see who's on the stage. Yep. Um, so I've had that experience at Wembley and I do not like it. So I really don't like anything where the seats are too high and too far away from the action. What did you see at Wembley? Uh, England, USA. Oh, well, yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Who are you rooting for? Yes. <laughs> um, all right, here's my question then. So I do think that the nosebleeds is like a, uh, a sort of – comes hand-in-hand hand with NFL stadiums and larger stadiums in the U.S. Mm-hmm. We have both been to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the Atlanta oh, United yeah, yeah. slash Atlanta Falcons uh, Stadium. Where are you on that one? Because that is a – it's kind of purpose-built for both. Uh, we were in the press box for the uh, for the MLS Cup final, uh, which was high up. I think we still had the Portland fans above us. But yeah. I would still say I felt like we were able to see everything that was happening pretty well. I think maybe Mercedes-Benz is pretty steep. Yes. Yeah. That's probably a good point. Yeah. I think, and I think probably good the, the domedness of it. The retractable <laughs> roof uh, yeah. also kind of probably holds in some of that sound, makes it feel like you're even that much closer to it. Yeah. So I'd say like you can have some bigger ones that do work. Yeah, uh, definitely. I was just wondering if that, would be, if that would constitute a nosebleed or not to you. Uh, I guess height-wise, yes. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of closeness to the action, okay. no. So maybe maybe nosebleed is the wrong, way, the wrong way of saying it. It's about distance from the action right. is the problem. And if you think Mercedes-Benz Stadium – I know it's not in the heart of downtown, but it's in downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we could walk to it from downtown. Yeah. Uh, whereas Wembley is like Wembley's out there, yep. like North London, and then some. All right, yeah. I mean, you know, walks are walks. Sometimes <laughs> you need them. I, I would say that you know, what I'm saying is, if there's more space, mm-hmm. then they tend to expand the, the footprint yep. of the stadium. And if you're working with a constricted footprint, that makes sense. Like, how do you feel they're working with a constricted footprint, yep. the DC United Stadium? And that's why it ended up being so steep. It, I don't think it was because someone was like, "Let's get everybody on top of each other." It would create a really good atmosphere. It was like, "We only have this much space to work with, and we got to squeeze all these seats in." What's the deepest gradient we can exactly. get away with. Exactly, yeah, but that works. <laughs> Without lawsuits. I, I think this analogy will make sense. <laughs> have you ever done the thing where you like, I know you're not big on like uh, home improvement and stuff like that, but have you ever done the thing where you add like more shelves? The more- show or the uh, verb. Uh, both, yes. <laughs> um, I hope you dislike the show more so than actually making your living space nice. But like, have you ever done the thing where you add more shelving, you add more storage, and you're like, now we'll be able to spread out, it won't be so cluttered, and then you just end up just adding more stuff. You just add more stuff yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's what it is. It's like you could turn that into like you could have a park around it and like walking space, and then mm-hmm. you build this nice stadium, and now you can make it into like a thing where you walk there and you hang out, and then you go in. Yeah. And instead, it's like, now nah, we'll just make it bigger and wider. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, another thing that I do 
really enjoy are stadiums that you can kind of feel they're lived in, basically. You can feel the history to them. Okay. This isn't uh, soccer. old, Old stadiums. Basically, yes, um, because this isn't soccer, but I, I think about Yankee Stadium. Yeah. I loved going to old Yankee Stadium. Uh, and then, I've been to Fenway Park and had the same feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And then the new Yankee Stadium is, like I think rightfully so, called referred to as like a mausoleum. Like You have obstructed seats. It's much quieter. It's smaller, I think I'm correct in saying. It's easier to hit a, hit a home run. But it's just because it doesn't have that same history – you're kind of not as willing to forgive some of the yes. issues there. Yeah, if it's a yeah. stadium built in 1920 and then they've added on to it, you're sort of like, yeah, well, then it's going to be a little bit imperfect. Uh-huh. But when it's kind of purpose-built and brand new, it can be a little bit too clean and a little bit too pretty, and mm-hmm. I don't quite like that either. Okay, I've got some more things that I really mm-hmm. like in a stadium. Covered stands. All right. Literally put a cover so that when the rain comes down, it hits the top of the stand and not the fans underneath. That right? is a logical thing to yep. like. Same with the sun. If it's super baking hot, especially here in the US when we play during the summer, mm-hmm. you want the covered stand to keep the, the sun from baking the heads of all, <laughs> of, all the, uh, of all the fans. Again, I think we go back to vertical because you can do that really easily if you build on kind of on top of the one that came below. Mm-hmm. What happens with the NFL ones, again, is like when you spread it out. I've seen many games where it was like fans were underneath the covered sections and yeah. they kind of like all crowded underneath there so as not to get wet. If you build... Pretty vertical. Mm-hmm. You can cover more and get more people in. So there you go. Here's another thing I like. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. No, we're going back and forth. So no, go ahead, go ahead. Keep going. Corners filled in. Okay. I love a wraparound stadium uh-huh. where it's not four separate stands with big gaps in between. Mm-hmm. I love it where they've filled in the corners or like built it wrapped around all together because you just get that all around all around feel. Wolves, wolves are working on it. See, they got one one corner filled in so far. I'm okay with it again if it's sort of like representative of oh they had like this big surge in the 60s so they added this stand and then they got yeah. really good again in the 80s and they added this stand and so you can see it. That's what um, Besiktas's old stadium. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, their old stadium used to be like that and I loved it for that reason. I also think you you'll see stadiums like I think they're almost always in Portugal for some reason, but you'll see stadiums that like don't have like one side filled in so that it can like open up to a mountain view or yeah, there's like yeah, a yeah. cliff right up against it. That might be Braga. Braga. Yes. Yeah, there it is. They have that. And like, so if you're building in the surrounding like environment, mm-hmm. then I'm kind of okay with it not yes. being a wraparound. I guess that's the thing I do love is a dramatic yeah. backdrop, but you can't get that everywhere, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to get that in the West Midlands. No, you're not. <laughs> um, I want to, I want to, uh, you probably will not. Yes. Like this is the, uh, this is the lovely factory and the lovely road that leads to the factory. We wanted everyone to be able to see it. Also, the factory is closed down. Also that. Um, I would say, like I said earlier, that I don't necessarily enjoy new stadiums. Mm-hmm. I think that if if the gimmick to the new stadium, I don't think this is just that I'm a Washington professional football team fan, but like I never had any desire to go to the new Cowboys stadium because it's enormous and it felt like their whole thing was, we got this giant screen. Like, can you believe how big this TV screen is? And yeah. it just sort of was like, that feels a little gimmicky to me. I genuinely don't mean that to be disrespectful. It just, it did not appeal to me. I know there's other aspects that did appeal to people. Whereas I look at, say, Minnesota's, uh, Minnesota, uh, we back to Minnesota United's yeah. uh, new stadium. Alliance. Field? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I always get confused because there, uh, there, appear, there, there appeared to be three possible names for stadiums at this point. It's like Audi something, Mercedes something, and Allianz something <laughs> is about where we are. Uh, oh, and then uh, Middle Eastern or, Airlines as or well. Or Sports Direct. Yes, that too. Of course. <laughs> but like there you've got – a uniqueness to it. You've got the kind of like li- like lit exterior that you can change colors on and you can make it reflect different things. You can yes. have be purple for prints if you're in Minnesota. Uh-huh. And like I just – I appreciate that sort of 
uh, just interesting feature that I think makes it more of a unique thing to visit. All right, so I've got the same thing. What you got? I want I like something distinctive on the outside. There we go. Mm-hmm. Or some some distinctive feature. Exactly what you just mentioned with all the alliances. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, also, the Wembley Arch, I really like just this big arch over the top. It just gives it this defining feature. And the one that really came to my mind, do you remember the, the 2010 World Cup in South Africa mm-hmm. in Johannesburg? I can't remember the name of the stadium. Um, it has a sponsored name now. But it deliver- deliberately looked like some sort of clay pot with a fire underneath it. So it had like oh, the, the, the exterior had like a – it appeared to be like a clay pot type thing. It's got mm-hmm. a name like Calabash or something. Um, and then the bottom almost looked like fire. With the uh, th- with it heating it underneath, so okay. any like cool distinctive right. thing like that, I think is great. Yeah. I think it's telling that neither one of us, aside from yeah, like we went sight lines early, and that's about it. Like I'm not too worried about grass or anything like that. I mean, I would <laughs> prefer it be grass than turf, but in yeah. terms of the types of grass, meh, just play on natural grass. <laughs> um, I would say so. I think some of my favorites. I mentioned out a few, and I've enjoyed that recently. Yeah. Uh, when I first went to Turkey in 2005, I went to old Ali Semeyan Stadium. Uh, they have the new one now uh, further out in, in Istanbul, like on the kind of outskirts, such as they are, because there's no real outskirts of Istanbul. It just mm-hmm. keeps going. Oh, that's um, one of my things. Downtown is better. Yeah. Right? But this used Suburbs to be, not so good. This used to be like as close as possible to the area where Galatasaray High School is, where Galatasaray were kind of initially formed. Um, but it was this just clearly very old stadium. It was one of the ones, like, I'll try to find the video of it. I could probably post it of a, a game I actually went to. Somebody else like filmed video, but you can see the upper deck like kind of moving up and down because there's so many people. It's probably over capacity, yeah. but it's just old. It's poured concrete. It's like hand painted. The ceiling is like yellow and red. You wouldn't get that anymore. You don't see a lot of metal. It's a lot of concrete in there, yeah. which is risky, but like you get the sort of history of it just being there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the old Besiktas. As I said, you could see the different parts uh, when, like when they were added and at what point. There's like, oh, this is clearly the newer stand that was added in the 90s. Yeah. This was added in the 50s. So the history of the team yeah. is there, right? I think Which was, you do lose when you move stadiums like Arsenal and Spurs. Yeah. You lose that old history, unfortunately. Yeah, I get why you do it, but you, yeah. And I'll say like Besiktas do lose the history because they did get rid of uh, – it used to be BJK Inunu Stadium after the second uh, prime minister or president of Turkey. I yeah, you tell me Stefan Inunu. There you go. Uh, but it was it was built on the I think it was the stable grounds of uh, Domobace Palace, which was the later palace of the Ottoman Empire. Um, but so it's like right on the Bosphorus. You've got this beautiful palace next to it. You've got a beautiful mosque next mm. to it. You've got a park on the other side. Can you see the river from the stadium? Uh, yes, yeah, the Bosphorus. Yeah, you can you can look out and see the Bosphorus. It led to the greatest uh, football weekly pun of all time when Chelsea lost to, to Besiktas away and. Uh, I think James Richardson's line was uh, where it's not just confused Chelsea fans who are or confused tourists who are wondering, is this the boss for us? There you go. Solid. But what Besiktas did was took that stadium down and built on the exact same spot. So they have yeah, a brand yeah. new stadium. I think it's Vodafone Arena, Vodafone Park, something like that. So it's a brand new stadium. You lose some of the history, but at least it's in the exact same location. Yeah. So you don't then drive past the old location that was wonderful. 20 minutes away is the new location, yeah, which yeah. is pretty, but not quite as uh-huh. historically significant. Um, okay. My favorite, mm-hmm. weirdly, despite my many trips to Molyneux, I, I mean, it's almost like your parents' home, right? Mm-hmm. It's not your favorite house, but it's like a house that you love because it's you know, you grew up there. Mm-hmm. So I have those feelings about Molyneux. But my actual favorite stadium in England is Villa Park. Okay. I really, I've gone like, because I've got Villa fan friends, so I'll often go to, to see the Villa. Up the Villa on the board. Oh, yeah, Hugh put that there, yep. didn't he? Hashtag UTV. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so Hugh's a guy I've gone to Villa Park with a lot. Villa Park, I mean, it's big, right? It's 42,000, so mm-hmm. it's 10,000 at least, uh, bigger than Wolves. It has this one big stand. The Holt End alone holds like 13,000 people. Used to be the biggest in England. I think it's been surpassed by the new carpet at Anfield and also Stretford End at Man United when they 
expanded. But what Villa Park has is an exter- a brick exterior, mm-hmm. right? So it's a big 40,000-seat stadium. And at I least down I think two of the yep. ends have this really nice red brick, um, which is kind of common in the Midlands, exterior that gives it like this this old feel. I thought you know it said this brick in the Midlands. Is it, it red brick? Yes. Okay, so. cool, 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 cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I like Villa Park for that reason. All right, I'm, I'm good for that. Uh, I should add I've been to England once for one day. Uh, and then I think I've had layovers there. That's about it. So, you and I have to do a total soccer show trip. Yeah. I know you've met my parents when they've come over here, but I'd love to take you around like my, the Midlands, essentially. Yes. We could go good places as well. But. All right. That'd be fun. <laughs> I would be probably less freaked out about going through security because I was really – we went there to basically get my wife's engagement ring and then go back to Turkey. But it, it, I, I was like, I feel like this looks very weird to be coming from Turkey and be being in London for one day, which I had to declare. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I would like to go back. I'd like to spend some more time there. All right. All right, but then I, I should ask you then, uh, since I've talked about like my favorite in Europe, sort of, uh, I'm wondering what's your favorite in the U.S. that you've been to for soccer? Ooh, okay. So City Stadium, Richmond Kickers uh-huh. is like my parents have, uh-huh. right? Okay. I guess how do you feel? It's a good way of putting that. I mean, I actually I really love Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but I sort of, I knew that it would be impressive because mm-hmm. I'd heard so much about it. So that's definitely the most impressive soccer stadium mm-hmm. I've been to easily. But I think... Audi Field, I was most impressed with because I was prepared to be disappointed. Okay. <laughs> because DC United are really on a run yep. of just doing things wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And we'd heard bad things about the stadium, and there yep. was stuff falling off in the first couple of weeks. Remember, like, oh, someone yeah. got hit on the head? Like, yeah, there was. And there's a problem with the sight lines with the camera and the sunset and all, and all that. So I was really ready to go there and see this thing that was, like, held together by duct tape. Mm-hmm. And instead, it was a very impressive stadium. We thought good food options, which is another thing maybe worth mentioning. Good food options that aren't too expensive is a, is a major, major thing. So yep. I think it's Audi Field. All right. Yeah. I do miss I do miss RFK. I would like to go back in time do to you before. Really I mean, yes, because I, 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 like, <laughs> I like Bobby Kennedy. But yeah. also, but, but also uh, I'd like to go back in time to before Magneto destroyed it to figure out yeah. it, like, what it was like when it first opened. Uh-huh. Uh, although then I guess I'd be supporting the Washington professional football team of that era, which is even worse. Uh-huh. So maybe not. Never mind. I'm and okay with Audi Field. The lesson from that X-Men movie as well is they didn't have to um, do anything to, to change the stadium nope. to look like it was the 60s or 70s. Because it basically hasn't changed. Troubling. Yeah. Troubling. Yes. All right. Uh, so we have many more questions to get to. I'm going to stop slamming uh, RFK and instead talk about today's sponsor, which is Wix. Wix. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody needs a website. You need a website host and you need a way to build it. Is that a new law? The Everyone has to have a website? To, yeah, yeah. Uh, Trump passed it. Executive oh order. All right. That's troubling. <laughs> Not really. If you're marketing stuff um, or if you just want to have a presence, you need a website, you need a way to build it, Wix is the way to build it. Mm-hmm. You can uh, create whatever you want yourself, whether you're a novice, a business owner, or an advanced designer, professional website builder. We're like two out of four of those things, I think. I think you are. I'm definitely more novice on these things. Uh, I'm um, advanced novice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is, even an advanced yep. novice, um, I can still build a website using the Wix platform it's quite it's essentially an interface that lets you build the website without having to get deep into the code mm-hmm. which is what you know the more professional designers are probably doing yes but it also it allows you to like as easily as possible create a website that looks good because that is a huge thing much like with podcasts oh, you don't want a bad looking website well I, as in like when, whenever anybody asks me like what's key to starting a podcast like the first thing i always say is like audio quality that if you tune into a podcast and the audio is not good or the levels yeah. are all over the place you probably won't check it out again similarly if you're looking give for it 30 seconds max exactly yeah. if you're looking for a website if you go to that like the landing page or if you maybe click one link and it just sort of it doesn't really work or it looks very professional it looks yeah, like yeah. it was made in the 90s it's sort of you're instantly like okay this maybe isn't the most reputable i'll go for one that's I'm not, slightly more aesthetically pleasing i'm not hiring this company right <laughs> which is why we've chosen wix to build our new website mm-hmm. not for totalsockshow.com because that already exists it's a new website for the spin-off show that we've long been promising 
And we are pretty close to launching. Mm-hmm. Pretty close? Yes. It still requires a lot of work on our part to get yeah. it done. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of pre-recorded uh, stuff, yeah. uh, content there. But that's nice because then Wix takes care of the heavy lifting when it comes to the website. Yes. So we can just focus on the show itself. We focus on the audio. Uh, yeah, right? they give us reliable hosting to keep the website safe and secure, custom domains and mailboxes, email marketing, and much, much more. Wix is great for all of those things. Can we reveal a little bit about the, uh, the new show? I'm not going to give away the name or anything, but essentially it's going to be evergreen soccer content. It's going to be just me and Taylor. There's no one else involved. So it's going to be very total soccer showy, but also something a little bit different. I hope you're excited for it because we, we've been building it for a long time and we're very excited about it. And the website we're building, as we mentioned, we will be building with Wix. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to do the same, you can get started today for free, for free at Wix.com slash TSS. And so then you build it for free from there. And then when you want to upgrade to premium, you apply the code TSS at checkout. You get 10% off. Mm-hmm. Once again, that's Wix.com slash TSS and apply code TSS at checkout to get 10% off when upgrading to premium. Thank you very much to Wix for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to some more listener questions. It's actually two related questions, but I think they're sort of worth tying together and answering at the same time. All right. um, so Billy Height asked, what went right and what went wrong for Borussia Dortmund on Saturday, is the Bundesliga title race really over now? Mm-hmm. Similarly, John Roder asks, what do you think has gone wrong at Dortmund this year? And I think the two are obviously somewhat related because Dortmund's title challenge faltered this past weekend with the 2-2 draw against Bremen after taking a 2-0 lead. I mean, it's been faltering, but yeah, yeah sure. But I think that's a good microcosm of the macrocosm um, of them having you know yeah. a, a multiple point lead at the top of the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich slowly but surely catching them up and then overtaking them with two weeks to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess right there I would say, like, but does it feel like slowly but surely? Because it feels to me like it's been a very, like, Dortmund were on top, Dortmund were no longer on top. And it, it does feel like for how big of a lead they had, yeah. it does feel like a sort of abrupt change, which I think is where this question is coming from. Uh-huh. But then I think in doing some research and doing some reading, Michael Cayley has a, has a good like statistical analysis for The Athletic. Oh, I'm good that. It feels like much more of a, like, born out over the stats. It was sort of a long time coming, the yeah. kind of uh, return to normal form for Dortmund. And similarly, the return to normal form for Bayern, it's just a very good form for Bayern, usually. I actually think in many ways, nothing has gone wrong for Dortmund. Mm-hmm. They're having a really good season points-wise, considering new coach, uh, like a young player like Jadon Sancho, they just took a flyer on, and he turns out to be brilliant, mm-hmm. right? It's actually, things have gone really, really well. And normally they would have just finished second or third or fourth. But because Bayern was so bad under Kovac mm-hmm. at the start of the season, they had this lead at the top. It's almost like Bayern were missing for the first half. Yeah. But now things are back to normal where Bayern are dominant. And they're going to get their regular like 80, 80 points or so, which is what Bayern mm-hmm. seem to always get. And there's no hope of this Dortmund team catching that Bayern team. I know, because two games remaining, uh, it's a four-point difference at this point. So it would require Bayern losing and drawing at a minimum. Uh, That seems unlikely for Bayern to do both of those things. Uh, So I think Bayern's resurgence and their turnaround in form is definitely a huge part of the story. I would would say, though, that I do think there are things that have led Dortmund to falter because they had that lead. And for it to no longer be there, and quite the opposite, now they're Mm -hmm. behind by four. To me, it means that there was definitely some big changes. Um, I don't know necessarily if this weekend factors into it, because I think this weekend was kind of simple mistakes. It was Roman Berkey getting megged. It was Akanji not shepherding the ball out of bounds. It was not quite tracking. Um, But I think the bigger thing for me has been a huge one is the injuries and the sort of struggle to find form and Lucien Favre having to experiment as a result. Because now we have, say, Julian Weigel as a center back, which is not a thing we would have expected to see at the beginning of the season. We also, I think one of the major things that was going to be a problem for Dortmund all season mm-hmm. is the lack of strikers. Yep. The only real recognized 
centre forward is Paco Alcacer. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be, um, through a se- from what I understand, it's through a series of multiple injuries. He's never, never become fully fit enough to just regularly play 90 yep. minutes. So they had to keep bringing him off the bench. And he would miraculously produce 80th minute winners, 90th yeah. minute winners. Um, this past weekend, they started him, right? Which was, I think, really, really rare. Mm-hmm. But then when he's not around, it's, okay, Marco Royce is this great attacking midfielder. Let's put him up front. Mm-hmm. Ditto uh, Mario Goetze. And I've definitely seen games where that was kind of the problem, is that you have a bunch of attacking midfielders and no actual striker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so suddenly they just don't have that edge. That I would agree with that. I would say, though, that like Marco Royce, for example, I think 15 goals, 6 assists on the season. So he's more than capable of scoring, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I think the other issue... But there are also games where he didn't. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And there's also games that he didn't because he didn't play. Yeah, yeah. And that's, again, it goes back to the injuries for me, that both Gutsa and Royce more so. I think Royce missed all of February, right. which probably is a big part of why suddenly they didn't look so good in the Rookrund or whatever it is, the and, second half of the season. And both of those players have histories yep. of uh, not playing full seasons through injury. Right? Yeah. It's just, it's part of the deal with those guys that you have to expect going in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then I think there's other little ones we talked about. Like, I talked about Dortmund last week, or uh, Christian Pulisic last week, week, rather. He had a good game uh, this weekend. But again, like, I, it, it hasn't been these sort of lights out, like Pulisic on one side, Jaden Sancho on the other. It's all coming together. It's all, like, totally working, and they're yeah. destroying everybody. A lot of injuries for Pulisic this year as yeah. well. Right? I and think his season has been stop-start because of injury. Yeah, and so I, I think that that's a big part of it. So, yeah, to your point, like, you're, you're putting a lot of faith into Jaden Sancho, and he's repaid it for the most part. I mean, he's been lights out for some games, very good for others. Mm-hmm. and just okay for a Actually, few. Actually, doesn't their dip in form coincide with Jaden Sancho just started the season like an absolute yeah. bomb burner, right? He was like, out the gates, I finally get to play. Let me show the world what I can do. And I think there's like an element of enthusiasm and adrenaline where he's just going at it for the first few months yeah. of the season. And he's still been good, but there's like this slight trail-off where he's not just destroying teams single-handedly, which is really unrealistic to expect one player to do that throughout an entire season. Mm-hmm. And I would bet good money that, that his statistical output tracks when it tracks downwards, that's when Dortmund start to track downwards. Yeah. It's almost like he carried them through the first part of the season. Um, and then, Alcacer, yeah. yeah, and then and then he tails off a little bit and suddenly Dortmund aren't winning games because mm-hmm. he's not nutmegging three people and then, and then putting it in the far corner. Yes, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and then the fact that we're talking about Paco Alcacer and Jaden Sancho. Sancho, I think, signed... I think last season. I could be wrong on that one. But like, Sancho? Uh, yes. In the summer, essentially. Okay, yeah. yeah. So signed this summer. Alcacer brought in this summer. Witzel, Thomas Delaney. Witzel's like, been brilliant. Key players brought in. But the other one that, uh, that I read, like I read a, th- a think piece about this as well, and one of the points that that author was making, I forget who wrote it, was that it hasn't, like for what we think of Dortmund as being this team that brings in young players and develops them and then sells them on for these absurd amounts of money, mm-hmm. they this haven't had the best transfer windows overall. There have hmm. been, for last window being very good, there's a reason why they had to bring in so many players because they've had lots of players who haven't quite risen to that next level of expectation and so then they basically have to kind of retool and so you then don't have the depth that you would have from say Bayern Munich and even with a weakened Bayern Munich like weakened in quotes they're going to win the Bundesliga again but it's not quite that like oh they've got this guy this guy this guy and this guy and this guy and they all play the same position and that's the entire team it's still I think a deeper squad from top to bottom for Bayern in terms of like depth of talent and overall ability than I think it is for Dortmund and that can't be overlooked either here's the the other other thing I think is the youth of the defense Mm -hmm. they have a lot of very young defenders who at various points in the season have made rough 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 mistakes Mm -hmm. right Um, Ashraf Hakimi the right back I think he's injured now so he's not playing for the latter part of the season really like aggressive going forward but often like leaves holes in the back that's been the story of his season Uh, Dan Axel Zagadu I think he's still 19 or or so Mm -hmm. I think Hakimi's also a teenager or early 20s right um didn't he have that horrible error 
against Bayern in yeah. the big De Classica. Well, I, I can't remember if it was a pass or a header, but he essentially set up Robert Lewandowski yeah. for, for a goal that sort of um, ended Dortmund's hopes uh, of dominating that game. Um, you've got uh, Akanji is a guy I'm a big fan of. He's only 24. He's still young-ish, right? So they lost a lot of experience um, in like Socrates and uh, guys, guys mm-hmm. like that. Never uh, Tupatish as well. Yeah, Tupatish. Uh, mm-hmm. Bartra moved on a couple yeah. of years ago. So they lost a lot of more experienced defenders. And there's a lot of either teenagers or early 20s guys in the back. And I think you get the occasional, like despite they've actually been really good for the most part, but you get the occasional mistake out of yeah. them. And that's and, part of the downfall. And I think maybe Roman Berkey still there because you have all that youth. You want somebody veteran between the posts yeah. who can sort of lead that team. But I did find myself wondering after watching uh, the, the game from this weekend, is Roman Berkey... The like the goalkeeper you trust the least playing for a big team. <laughs> like I really like every time we see him, yes. he'll pull off a save here and there. But we also see him get beat at the near post, or like let it go between his legs, or like misplace a pass and suddenly he's under threat. And I feel like I see him make a lot of decisions that aren't necessarily mistakes, but I just see decisions that make me sort of cock my head to one side mm-hmm. and wonder what's happening. Yeah I, th- yeah, I think that's fair. I haven't seen enough of them to really have a strong, strong opinion about mm-hmm. it, but the little I have seen, I agree 100% with what you just okay, said. Okay, there we um, go. So one way I'd like to sort of rephrase, uh, especially John's question about what went wrong for Dortmund this year is, mm-hmm. I really think the question is what went right for Dortmund this year that they managed to be second, mm-hmm. uh, given all the problems that we just listed. So I'm essentially saying they were never a title-winning team. They just looked like it for a certain stretch of the season, especially mm-hmm. because Bayern was so bad. They wouldn't have been in first place if Bayern had started the season as we expected them to start. No, and yeah. I think Bayern will retool this summer, and I think we'll be much stronger and probably won't have that dip. They'll yeah. still have Nico Kovac there, so you won't have the kind of new manager coming in and mm-hmm. figuring stuff out. So it definitely requires Dortmund to go out and invest some money, spend some money. They're going to be selling Christian Pulisic, who I, I do think is not as big of a loss as he would have been this time last year. Yeah. Uh, so I think they'll be able to spend money and they'll have money to spend. And I do think that if they strengthen a few spots, then again, that gap closes even more. It does. But then it's this part of, I feel like whenever I'm watching Dortmund, they're constantly rebuilding, mm-hmm. right? So it's like sell Pulisic, buy someone new, like it, mm-hmm. then they'll lose someone else next year. But they yeah. might lose Sancho this summer mm-hmm. or maybe the summer after. And it's this constant like Dortmund are a work in progress that's never actually finished. And you've got to hope that one, one time Bayern have a bad year and we manage to win the league. Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah, that, that's worth hoping for. Dortmund fans sure. would not like hearing that, but I think it's kind of true. All right. All right. Sorry, Dortmund fans. Ready for the next question? I am, and I'll ask it. Uh, <laughs> it comes from uh, Socket Vora, who asks, why don't managers sub off their top players more often or much earlier when their teams have a comfortable lead? This is routine practice in the NBA or NFL to avoid injury risk and reducing wear and tear for a long season. Plus, it gives bench players more game experience. Uh, a, a particular example, there we go, or specific example, uh, offered by Socket would be when Liverpool played bottom of the table Huddersfield just four days before their first leg against Barcelona. So and Mane played the full 90 minutes even with a 3-0 lead at halftime. I think the answer is that you can't sub players back There it in. is. Is that it? That's pretty much it, I So, think. correct me if I'm wrong, in the NBA, yep. obviously it's rolling subs, right? So if you take your star player out and then the game goes sideways, yep. you can put him back in. Correct. NFL, the constant line changes, right? So you can, yeah, rest a wide receiver mm-hmm. for multiple plays. Suddenly, you're three points down yeah. and there's five minutes left. Then you're like, oh... Jerry Rice, get back in. Yeah. And Jerry Rice is like, but I'm old. And you're like, tough, get back in there. Yeah. I retired many years ago. You've got that back but, brace thing. But, that I see but yeah, I mean, you're totally right. That, like, <laughs> if you're up by 28 points at halftime, you can rest your quarterback. You can sit about the entire game. But if the uh, opponent comes back 
Then in the fourth quarter, you can put that quarterback back in. Yeah. No such thing for uh, soccer. So if you take out Mohamed Salah and uh, Mane, and mm-hmm. then you suddenly concede two or three goals, and then you're in trouble, you can't put them back in. And also, because you made those two substitutions, you only have one remaining. So yep. you can even only make one change on top. Also, here's my extra reason. This works better for, for as, a, as a counterexample to the NBA than the NFL. Um, there's a lot of games in the NBA. Yeah. There are only so many games in the Premier mm-hmm. League. And honestly, most players want to play, mm-hmm. right? Mohamed Salah wants to play soccer. And then there's a few days before the next game. NBA, correct me if again, NBA, I think sometimes you play like a couple of days later. And it's really like games on yeah. top of games on top of games. Whereas the, uh, with soccer, there you get tight schedules sometimes, mm-hmm. but there's at least like two, three, four days yeah. between games where it's reasonable to play a bit of soccer and then take your rest, play a bit of soccer. I would argue the rest comes in practice. Yeah. Like maybe you rest players by going easy in practice um, deeper into the mm-hmm. season. And you yeah. can like you can give breaks if a situation allows for it. If you've say got like have a week off somehow, you've managed to make that happen. Mm-hmm. You can send I think uh, Man United did that. They did warm weather training this winter. So you can sort of take breaks that way. Yeah. And you can even just not play players, which certainly yes, seems squad do. rotation. Yeah, yeah. But I think when you're looking at it for Liverpool this season, the other issue there is that they're trying to remain in the title race. Mm-hmm. So resting their key attackers, even against a team like Huddersfield, I mean, who would possibly drop points against Huddersfield? But uh, you still Wolves run that and risk. Man United. That was yeah. the joke. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's just a Man United joke. It you. applies to Wolves too. Um, so here's, here's an interesting thing. I want to get your take on this. I'm not friends with you anymore. That's fine. You still got to do the rest of the show with me. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just be tense. All right, we're friends again um, for now. Okay, so squad rotation where mm-hmm. you do like rest someone for an entire game. Or maybe you keep him on the bench. In re- Say you kept Mam Hetzler on the bench mm-hmm. in reserve in case you needed him. I get that. That's an actual rest, yeah. right? Because then you could take the whole game off. If you've already played 45 minutes, is it that much more to play another 45 minutes? No, I don't think so. I think I'm with you. I, I lean towards that. I think once you've played, the damage is kind of done. Yeah. <laughs> and an extra 45 minutes or half an hour, I don't think makes that much difference. I'm on tricky ground here because I'm not fully confident saying it, but I think you either play or you don't play, and the minutes don't matter. They add up over the season, but in the specific, like, before the semi-final on Wednesday or whatever, I don't mm. think it matters that much if you play 45 or 90. I'm inclined to agree with the exception that like, I think it also comes down to your preparation for that game. Uh, obviously, professionals not quite uh, dealing with the same issues, but say you and I have had a night out and then we're playing like two games the next day, uh-huh. probably not very hydrated. Yep. So then you can run into that, like you're more likely to cramp, you're more likely to run into uh, muscle fatigue or gen- general injuries because you're not as well rested, you're not as well prepared for the game. So assuming that a player is like fully hydrated, fully ready to go... Yeah, I think playing a half isn't that much different. The yeah. only difference that maybe you're like more susceptible to injuries if an opponent gets frustrated. Yeah. But even then, you're kind of looking at specific moments as yeah. opposed to general trends. So the rest is zero yeah. minutes, right? Yeah. 45, you've kind of already done it. The damage is done, essentially. The damage is done. <laughs> um, and if the damage is severely done, then you can uh, look to today's sponsor for help. So nutrition. Nutrition will get you back on your feet. Yes, because there are plenty of times when preparing for a game the night before, I think, yeah, frozen pizza. Pizza. That should do it. That should put me in the best possible situation. But I'm going to say Figgy's balsamic pork or chicken sausage uh, and spinach ricotta ravioli, probably going to put me in a better situation. That sounds bad to me. And that's why we're talking about HelloFresh. I was going to ask which wonderful company mm-hmm. is providing these meals for you. It's HelloFresh, the milk kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook eat and enjoy, then go and get three points the next day. There we go. And yeah, and you don't have to worry about... One of those was not in the official copy. 
It was not. <laughs> I, I can guess which one. Uh, I can also say that uh, maybe if you're like, you like you don't want to spend any mental capacity worrying about grocery shopping because say you've, you do have a big game the next day. You've got a Champions League second leg. You've got to win it. First one didn't go the way you wanted. But maybe you don't want to have to remember, is the milk we have still good? Do we have enough cream for coffee or are we going to run into that frustrating situation mm-hmm. where one of us gets coffee and the other one doesn't? How many, figs, cream, do I, uh, how many figs do I buy for the figgy pork? I mean, you got that too. Yeah. yeah. So th- they have got you covered because they send you the exact right amount that you will need to make the recipe. So you don't have any excess. You don't have lots of little jars containing lots of little leftover things like half an onion that yep. you didn't end up using. And maybe if you're one of those people that's scared of recipes, mm-hmm. uh, I think you can overcome your fear. First of all, weird phobia. With the, I mean, there's a phobia for everybody. With the HelloFresh recipe card, it has six-step pictured recipes that are easy to follow. Even Daryl can do it. It's like Julia Child's. Like ch- children? Did they have children? And if so, like, are they scared of recipes? Uh-huh. Like, is it a person who just spent their life being taught recipes? Yeah, I don't they, know what it would be. They're called Julius Childs. Okay. <laughs> I don't think she had kids, but I could be wrong. I don't know these things. It's been a while since I saw that movie. <laughs> HelloFresh makes family dinners mm-hmm. fuss-free. Um, so if you're a picky eater, um, they've got kid-tested and approved family plan recipes. We haven't really talked up the family plans because... Neither of us have kids, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, right now, so we're just doing the the couples, <laughs> the couples deal. Yeah, not I with can, each other. I with probably our, eat a family plan with our spouses. I'm pretty sure I could put that one. I away. mean, why not? Right? And all meals come together in 30 minutes max. Uh, call for less than two pots and pans, and require minimal cleanup. That is all uh, very good stuff when you're trying to get uh, get dinner done and get on your way. I have a question. If I have uh-huh. more than two pots and pans, do I have uh-huh. to throw some of my pots and pans away, or can I still do it? That's the requirement. It is. Know? Yes. Wow, it's harsh. Yeah, I have way too many pots and pans. I could probably do with getting rid of some. <laughs> we actually just did a big change-up. We got rid of our old ones and got a whole fresh set from my wife's mother. That's how yeah. they get you. You don't want to go that route, though, because what if you need that pan, Daryl? One day, one day. And that's how you become a hoarder, which is my approach. <laughs> um, but if you don't want to become a hoarder, but you do want to check out HelloFresh, uh, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS80 <laughs> and enter promo code TSS80. Did you forget it, then look to me, and then remember no, it? No, I usually let you fill it in, and then every time you're like... Did did you forget it? And so oh. I was going to say it that time, but and you I, were already all over it. And I still did it. You did it. <laughs> so to repeat the offer, just in case maybe the uh, the remix didn't help, um, for $80 <laughs> off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash TSS80. There we go. And enter promo code TSS80 at checkout. <laughs> it's like receiving eight meals for free. It, Thank you to HelloFresh for sponsoring is. today's show. I agree. <laughs> See, now I'm remixing. How do you feel about that one, sir? Um, all right, uh, more I'll, questions to get I'll to. the original. But thank you very much to HelloFresh. <laughs> Who's asking the next question, Taylor? I believe me? it's you, my friend. Okay, this next question comes from Matthew Graham. Matthew Graham wants to know, if you had to choose one of these variations on penalty shootouts, which would it be? There's a longer version of this question where Matthew Graham makes very clear, full disclosure, he is not a fan of penalty mm-hmm. shootouts. He's essentially trying to um, fix penalty shootouts, right? So two variations he offers us. We've got to choose which one we prefer. Variation numero A. Mm-hmm. Move the shootout shooters back from the penalty spot, which is 12 yards from goal, as we know. Mm-hmm. That would stay the same for regular penalty kicks, but this is for the shootout. You move the shooters back to the 18-yard line, mm-hmm. top of the box, to make it harder for the taker and a bit more favorable for the keeper. Mm-hmm. So essentially, penalty kicks from 18 yards out instead of 12. Yep. Okay, option, option the first. That was option number A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> option, option two is... Do the shootout. Cracking yourself up over there. Do the shootout. If you can't understand yourself at work, where can you do it? Do the shootout before extra time so that the teams know the outcome of the game if it stays tied. Mm -hmm. Matthew explains that this tilts the field so that the team that loses the shootout knows they need a goal and have to be more aggressive in extra time. Mm -hmm. Do you prefer number one or number B? Can you guess what my answer would be? MLS style slash NASL style. 
dribble yes. from the halfway line shootouts. You got it. If yes. I had to change it, it would be that. But in terms of these two options. <laughs> I'm with you. I would love that. Number the first, number A, all the way for me. Why so? Because uh, for number two, first of all, it kind of kills the drama of the penalty shootout because that is part of it, is that it comes down to it as this dramatic moment, and instead you've got this weird thing that happens, then you play extra time, but you might not even need it. So it becomes this weird thing that extends the amount, like, the time of the game, which is a reason why that probably would never happen. Yeah. Well, why would you not even need extra time? It's, it's tied No, no, no I'm, I'm saying, but, but then, like, if there's two goals at extra time, you didn't need the penalty shootout. So I understand the point oh, is I to, see, like, motivate the team that lost the penalty shootout to be a bit more attacking, but it also feels like a probably 10 to 15 minute thing that you may not end up needing and especially in tournaments where time is of the essence and teams want to rest yeah. that can add up um, but I also just think that it's not really I don't like that maybe just because I'm normal maybe or like normal in terms <laughs> of like normal. maybe because I like prefer the norm I guess is what I should I have said is like that to me feels very much out of sequence and it kind of kills the drama of it because instead yeah, it's just like alright yeah let's get this done so then we can play extra time because it's a penalty shootout with no finality yeah right mm-hmm. yeah I do okay I don't like that part either because it, it takes the drama out of the penalty shootout and then it's like what are we even mm-hmm. doing here do you like the idea of the extra time where one team knows they have to win and the other team knows hey if we can defend for 30 minutes we're good no because no? I, I think that I mean I guess theoretically but I think it's theoretical and I think in reality what you end up getting is a team that's ultra defensive and a team that's more attacking and I don't know if that's that much more exciting to me yeah. than two teams just going for it but still adjusting their game plans on the fly I would say 30 minutes of that is too much is part of it yeah. right yeah, 10 minutes so. of that is exciting 30 minutes is too too long to watch yeah it, yeah. it feels honestly it feels a little bit like an artificial construct that now mm-hmm. you're putting pressure on one team to defend and you're putting pressure on one team to attack and you're removing some of the like we recorded yesterday the the, the uh, Tottenham coming back, coming from behind to beat Ajax. Like that's Mauricio Pochettino in the game, making adjustments and figuring things out and making little tactical changes so that Tottenham still stay or stay a little bit tighter at the back, but are still able to get goals. That's part of what soccer is to me. That's what part of what coaching is. If it's suddenly like, but now you have to attack because your team didn't take penalties as well. Yeah, it's a little less exciting to me. One point in favor of mm-hmm. number two is you would actually get a rest. So while you're it's waiting true. for the penalty to happen, everybody gets like a 10-minute rest mm-hmm. or so, apart from the moment you have to step up and take the don't kick. Don't you kind of get that anyway, though? So not that. You don't get that long. Right. They get pretty fast into right. into extra time. I know the switch at halftime is definitely you just switch ends and keep playing. Yeah, yeah. you walk as slowly as you can mm-hmm. to the other side of the field to pretty get as much. many breaths in as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, why do we like um, number one? Because Moving I don't the- like number two. <laughs> okay. okay, well, let's, let's yeah. at least um, thought experiment, mm-hmm. conceptualize number one. I'm assuming Matthew's correct that moving the ball six yards farther away from goal Mm -hmm. um, makes it harder for the penalty kick taker. Does it make it too hard? Um, Or are we in like a 50-50 contest with the keeper? I think it removes a lot of the nuance. I think you you can't have a Panenka anymore because that extra distance, I think, gives the goalkeeper time to dive the wrong way, get up and dive the other way. I think you can't quite have the like looking the goalkeeper off and then passing it the opposite way because, again, I think if it's a slow pass – Maybe the goalkeeper can get it now. Yeah. So I think it kind of removes that from the equation. And now you've just kind of got to hit the ball as hard as you can or relatively hard and make sure the goalkeeper or hope the goalkeeper doesn't get the right way. What do you think the percentage would be in terms of like shot? Because uh, it's obviously, I don't know the actual percentage, but number percentage of penalty kicks scored is pretty high, yeah. right? Goalkeeper is very much, the odds are not in their favor. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just like in the, the uh, Hunger Games. When I they, knew you were going to shoot more in a Hunger May they be in your favor? They're really not, right? It's almost ironic. Boo. Um, yeah. I boo that. But you get what I'm saying, right? The <laughs> yes. odds are not in the goalkeeper's favor. Yeah. 
does this make it 50-50? No. I think, it, I think it definitely favors the goalkeeper. I think 18 yards out is even like for... 40-60 to the shooter? I think so. So, so like 60-40 to the goalkeeper? I think so. I think so. Generally speaking, yes. Professionals are professionals. They're a bit more accurate than amateurs. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, generally speaking, it definitely makes it harder to score goals uh, just because there's more time for a goalkeeper to react. Right now, it is a bit of a guessing thing, right? You kind of have to guess. There's a little bit of either yeah. research or preparation or you're just sort of trying to read it in the moment. But I think from 18 yards away, you can sort of wait and see which direction the ball is going and probably still have a pretty decent chance of saving it. You can't do that so when it's 12 yards out. So from the taker's perspective, it mm-hmm. becomes all about like deadly accuracy, right? Mm-hmm. You need like David Beckham-style accuracy to sort of bend it into the top corner. So you've got to get it like bend away from the goalkeeper's reach but bend back yep. into the top corner. So like your first taker would be Leo Messi, mm-hmm. for example, because he's magnificent at that. I actually think you struggle to find five players who can consistently strike a ball into the top corner out of the goalkeeper's reach. That yeah. would, so that would make it more interesting, at least, because when you know there's only two or three players on your team who can definitely do this, and then it's like, all right, Vincent Company did it that once. Can he do it, can he do it again? We'll find out. There you go. <laughs> well, we won't because this probably isn't going to well, happen. Well, right? it's going to happen for purposes of me saying, yeah, that's why we should do number one and not number two. <laughs> okay. I... I would be interested to see this experiment. All right. All right. I would be interested to see the next experiment Ooh, uh, yeah. offered by Ross Baran, or I guess questioned by Ross Baran. Uh-huh. It's a hypothetical situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want me to ask it? Uh, no, I can do this one. Go on, then. Uh, it's the Gold Cup final, it USA is? versus Mexico. Carlos Vela has maintained his current form and is tearing it up. Uh, what does the United States do? Do they have anyone capable of playing left back well enough to keep him in check? So if you're not familiar with Carlos Vela, mm-hmm. um, he's playing for the LAFC. He is playing on the right wing using his left foot, Mm -hmm. cutting inside, and consistently (laughs) scoring. Mm -hmm. Actually, very top corner. He'd be one of my picks to take an 18-yard penalty. Really? (laughs) Yeah, Um, with his left foot. So, yeah, so uh, Ross is essentially asking, what does the U.S. do if we're going to shut down Carlos Vela in the Gold Cup final? This Mm -hmm. may be a thing we have to find out, maybe in a, hopefully, in a a couple months. Do you have suggestions? I have have lots of suggestions. Yeah, there are various ways of dealing with this. Well, I want to preface it by saying, right now, if if we start a sort of attacking left back, then we're in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, go- I'm approaching this as like, this is the only problem we're going to try and solve. Because mm-hmm. there are multiple other problems, and maybe you focus too much on one thing, um, you, you lose the game elsewhere. So maybe the US are better not thinking about this and just going and attacking. But for the purpose of answering Ross's question, I'm going to focus very specifically. I would play a centre-back at left-back. Okay. Maybe Aaron Long, okay. someone like that. But I also think it's really important to have cover to the interior, right? The most important thing is not necessarily who's left back. It's what does the left center back do? And it's what does the defensive midfielder do? Okay. So when Carlos Vela on the right starts cutting in from the left, I want a left center back who's capable of stepping out, recognizing when it's happening, stepping out and blocking the shot. If it's John Brooks, I'm just asking John Brooks to please do that. And I think I'd have like a, a Tyler Adams type player who can cover ground quickly at defensive midfield to scurry on over there and get in Carlos Vela's face before he can get the shot away. So it's not all on the left back. I think it's on at least three players. So Tyler Adams is not playing right back for you? I guess not in this situation, right? right? If I'm really focused on just shutting this down. Yeah, I think if we're like fully embracing this question, then I think the idea would be that this is like the primary way that Mexico have been scoring in the Gold Cup. Yeah. Because I am also... Every big... goal has been a Carlos Vela goal, cutting in from the right, hitting it left-footed, and we're just, we've got to shut this down. Or thereabouts. It doesn't have to be an absolute. But yeah, I, but I say that just to say that like, I am not a big fan of game planning for one specific threat. Same. Because if suddenly, to your point, if you're committing three players, 
in the scenario of it's only been Carlos Vela, we got to shut him down. No one wants Chicharito. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Raul Jimenez. We don't need to worry about <laughs> the, this guy who can run and score headers and, and be very dangerous in the <laughs> box. Like so. That's where I am with it. Is like I, I think I agree more or less. I think I had Aaron Long. I was curious if you were going to put Christian Pulisic in there, just because there was that momentary where we th- moment this past weekend where we thought he was going to be playing left back for Dortmund, <laughs> right back. Uh, and I did wonder if maybe Daryl was going to think like, get him in there, we'll see what no, happens. No, he would not be my choice. To Tyler Adams and Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic are our fullbacks now. <laughs> Here's the other reason I went Aaron Long mm-hmm. is um, Aaron Long not left footed, um, right footed, mm-hmm. so he would be defending with his stronger foot when Vela steps inside. Yeah. So we got that going for us as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I wouldn't mind. Seeing like what Anthony Robinson can do in this situation, get beat. Now, I think is the I answer. Mean, maybe, but I do. I guess I feel like the United States. I want to see. It is the measure of a good coach, yes, to be able to find players who fit your system. But you've also got to be able to, if you can't find a player that specifically fits exactly what you need, find a player who can. Like, listen to your instruction, listen to your coaching, adjust what they do. And I would like to see Greg Berhalter maybe take that approach instead of sort of, like, not saying that he's just, like, found people that just fit exactly what he wants to do and that's it, but I want to see if he can coach that, if he can find somebody who's a very good left back in an attacking sense, maybe has some work to do defensively. I wouldn't mind seeing with specific instruction and a little bit more assistance because I do think that the help on that side has been lacking in games that we've seen Anthony Robinson. Maybe with a little bit more help and a little bit more cover, maybe he looks a little bit better. Uh, Yeah, that, that sounds good to me so the other option would be like uh tim ream who's put out there mm-hmm. at left back i kind of don't see tim ream being fast enough once vela cuts to the inside i feel like you, you've got tim tim ream sort of chasing after him and not quite getting there mm-hmm. and it also got me thinking that maybe it isn't the left back's job because once vela cuts inside because the left back is sort of uh on the wrong side of him mm-hmm. it becomes someone else's job as yeah. soon as it starts to happen right mm-hmm. so as long as yeah as long as it's coordinated and they're passing him off yes if everyone else is backing off then no it's definitely the so maybe that's job. the key it's you mm-hmm. need communication across the back line of like once he sort of crosses a certain threshold it's the left center back's job mm-hmm. or it's the defensive midfielder's job it's not the left back's job to go chasing after him and you're not going to throw dan lovitz into this equation i don't know i don't know enough about him yeah right like he he did well that game i saw but i just don't know enough about him i don't watch a lot of montreal impact i, I would agree with that yeah. I, I was just kind of throwing you under the bus there yeah. because i don't know either hey so sort of I, that bus ran straight over me and i, I got <laughs> up fine on the other side fabian johnson you want to put him in there no okay <laughs> that's fair i'm not a fan of his defensive work that's yeah, also his fair. defensive over is not my favorite <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm good with that <laughs> All right. Do you feel that we have sufficiently answered Ross's question? I mean, I think it's telling that there weren't that many options that we could kind of go back and forth and like yeah. debate the merits of. Yeah, I think you're given the way the kind of player pool has evolved under Greg mm-hmm. Berhalter or not evolved under Sarah Cannon Arena and Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah, I think that options are slightly more limited than we would like. So I think it will take some gamesmanship if it is Carlos Vela tearing it up in the Gold Cup. Oh, actually, I have one extra question on this. Right. Um, assuming John Brooks is the left center back. Do we rate him or trust him enough to be the guy that steps out and blocks a Vela shot? Given that we've seen him sometimes get in trouble when he's in one-on-one situations, I think so. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I do. I'm not sure. Who are I... you picturing this more crowded as well? Like, this, uh-huh. like the US is back defending. It's not yeah. like he's one-on-one with Vela and on an island like he was against Costa Rica multiple times. Yeah, exactly. I'm still <laughs> not sure who his right center back partner is because Matthew Miazga. I mean, I guess so, but if, it seems like it might end up being Aaron Long for the Gold Cup. Uh, so then, if we've got Aaron Long starting at left back. Then we got to figure out what to do at right oh, back. This is a very right right. situation, right? Yeah. He's, a, he's yeah. a left back and a right Can we back. start him both spots? <laughs> is cloning okay? He's the new Kelly O'Hara. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that was a bit of genius from us. Um, I think so. And today's show is sponsored by 
policy genius. Mm-hmm. I did the same segue from yesterday, essentially. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. And we can say that uh, it, it was raining yesterday. It's a nicer day today, which mm-hmm. I think is symptomatic of spring. It's warm. It rains. <laughs> then stuff grows because it rained. Uh, and since it's spring, it's the time of year when seeds grow into flowers. There you go. And you grow up financially at least, hopefully. Uh, your family needs protection if something happens to you, and that means you need life insurance. Uh, Policy Genius makes it easy to get that financial security without the growing mm-hmm. pains. And if you're a hapless uh, U.S. left-back and you get murdered by Carlos Vela, then your family definitely needs life insurance. <laughs> Do you think they pay out for uh, getting sort of uh, metaphorically murdered on the soccer field? I feel like it depends on how bad the defensive performance was. If it has 10,000 or more tweets saying, this man had a family. There we go. <laughs> then, then like, that's it. Then it pays. Then out. it pays out double. In fact. <laughs> So, 10,000 on Twitter, definitely. <laughs> I mentioned on the last ad mm-hmm. about these sort of two tracks that it gives you about do you want help or yep. not. We won't go into that again. Um, the key part about Policy Genius is once you've entered your information and you said sort of what's – you can essentially tell them what kind of policy you're looking for. You're looking for a gigantic life insurance mm-hmm. payout or a smaller one, how much are you willing to pay per month. You, you enter all those, all those variables and then you get the list of options and you can – compare shop and compare through the various companies companies mm-hmm. like i don't know AIG and other big insurance companies will show you the rates and then you select from amongst them imagine going to all those different websites and putting that information in over and over and over again mm-hmm. don't do that go to policygenius.com just do it once and you'll see all the rates i don't want to do that because I think I would struggle to name more uh, life insurance companies than I would U.S. left backs. So there you go. Uh, and it's worth noting, once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and red tape, so there's no commission, no hidden fees, uh, just financial protection and peace of mind with no strings attached, which I appreciate because I don't like the idea of like wanting life insurance. Say you're like a, a new mother, a new father, you've got twins all of a sudden. You want to make sure that those twins are protected. You don't want it to get to the end of the whole thing and have them be like, oh, by the way, it'll be a $200 activation fee. And suddenly, you feel a little bit Swindled. So we guarantee that does not happen. We do. Um, it's also not just life insurance. Um, Policy Genius also makes it easy to compare and buy home insurance, auto insurance, and disability insurance. There we are. So next time you stop to smell the roses and pull out your phone, uh, pull out your phone and head to PolicyGenius.com. You Policy- can do both. Policy Genius, spring is here. Note, spring may not be here, depending on where you live. Yep. <laughs> Kick it off by nipping life insurance in the bud. Hello to any Australian listeners. Ha- and England as well? Has spring sprung in England? Uh, not according to the Liverpool game. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> few more questions uh, to get to today. Up next is Todd Brennan. Uh, would you consider this a successful season for Cameron Carter-Vickers? Uh, that's for both club and country, I believe. Interesting. Yeah, so he played a bunch for Dave Sarakin. Mm-hmm. He did not play for Greg Berhalter. He was called up for the under-23 squad in March to play for Jason Christ. That's his international career. His uh, club career, he's been on loan at Swansea City this season, and he's played most of the games, right? Mm -hmm. And he's established himself as usually one of their three centre-backs, either the middle centre-back or the left centre-back. Most Um, is a word. 23 starts and uh, seven substitute appearances. It's not so bad. It's not so bad. It's 30 or 46. Yeah, okay. Um, So... Do we consider it a successful season? We went back and watched some footage of Cameron Carter-Vickers, right, to see what we've noticed in terms of improvements Mm -hmm. in his game. All we can say, before we get into that, all we can Uh say is he has established himself with a championship team, a 10th place championship team. Yeah. And that right there, I'm not running for a public office, I promise. But I'm going to say, I think the answer to this depends on how you define success. Yeah. Uh, because if you define it as has played himself into contention to like, play for Tottenham's senior team next year in the Premier League, uh, I don't think he's done that. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I think to get a permanent move somewhere, maybe to Swansea, maybe to another championship team, yeah, maybe, I think he's probably done that. Maybe a low-end Premier League team? Maybe. 
Maybe. So, yeah, I'm going to call this Depending a success. Depending on their style. Yeah. I'm going to call this a success because he's finally got loads and loads of minutes. Mm-hmm. Seems to be quite well-respected by Swansea City staff and fans. With staff, a few, staff definitely, yeah. With a few quibbles here and mm-hmm. there from fans for certain performances. Here, I got one for you. Uh, Swansea assistant Billy Reed. Yeah. Uh, says, we asked him to step into the game with the ball, and the progress he's made in that area has been exceptional. He's been a big, big part of the run we've been on. Okay, so step into the game with the mm-hmm. ball means playing out of the back yeah. um, a bit more. A lot has been made of his passing completion percentage. Mm-hmm. 91.6. Which is really high. It's a lot of passing to the other centre-backs, That's right? a key thing. From the footage that we saw. We found that out because we did the, like, uh, like the... The Y Scout thing where you can watch all of the passes, and yeah. we very quickly changed the the like categories <laughs> that we were looking at because it was just a lot of oh, I bet he's going to pass yeah. to the left center back. Oh, I bet he's going to pass to the right center back. And there are the occasional mm-hmm. line breaking passes or passes out to wing backs. There are a lot of long diagonal passes, and let's just say he is not quite Virgil Van Dijk, no. at least not yet. No, some of them found the target, some of them were overhit. I think right? the ones that found the target, generally speaking, were the ones when he had a lot of time to pick his head up, yes. find the runner played the ball. Mm -hmm. Most of the time he's under pressure. It felt like it was either just a clearance to get rid or a kind of ball, a hopeful ball in the direction of a runner, but not necessarily an accurate ball. And the other thing we noticed, um, very good in the air. For a guy who's not huge, right? He's not a six foot four kind of dude. He's like six foot, maybe a little shorter, maybe Mm -hmm. 5'11". He does win a lot of balls in the air, wins a lot of aerial duels based on the footage that we saw. We watched a lot of him winning headers, essentially. We did. And and he's very good at that. He also, he likes a fight, basically. He likes to kind of body up to an attacker. It's the the way Fernando Llorente kind of goes against the defender is oh, yeah. to be what Cameron Carter-Vickers likes. I want to get into this. But I don't know if that's great because it's definitely okay. good. It stops any sort of like like settle and turn from the attacker. There's that pressure on them right away. And if they're not very good technically, that might mean they miscontrol. control. They don't quite take it the way they wanted to or he outjumps them and wins the header. Mm-hmm. But again, as we talked about yesterday, then you can have the situation of like Matias Delete where they're so focused on winning that tussle in that battle that they themselves could make a bad play yeah. or they can overcommit and get turned. Here's my take on it. Um, what he's doing, I mean, it's weirdly obvious, right? Just when, when an attacker receives the ball, he goes and just gets yep. right up the back of them and then he's able to sort of I think use his strength to like jostle and put that put that attacker off shake the ball loose a yep. little bit and then you get a foot like either like either he like scoops it around the side or through the legs or something or enough to just get a poke away yeah. tackle right I think it's kind of good enough for the championship yep. I think when we saw him in the FA Cup against Manchester City he wasn't bad by any stretch but you did see him give away a lot of fouls and get beat a few times because the elite attackers know how to take advantage of a defender that fully commits to like full body contact and try and jostle the ball loose. Yeah, right? he's not speaking a language of subtlety. Yes, I, that's true. Yeah. the way I'm going to put that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think then you look at the games where he did seem to excel for Swansea. It's games when he has time on the ball, when he's not coming under immediate like high press or yeah. high pressure from the opponent. It's when he's able to kind of step out and know he has cover behind. Then he can step out and win those balls. He is good in those aerial challenges, yeah. again, because I think he likes a tussle. And, and he, he's got good timing and I think yeah. good perception of what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think that he's about found his level for right now. Now, maybe he came into this season, he had trouble getting starts in the beginning. Joe Roden gets injured. That's when he starts to get more minutes. And basically since January, he becomes a consistent starter. Yeah. So maybe next season with a full preseason, uh, I think he has indicated that he would be open to a move, either another loan to Swansea or a permanent move to Swansea. The fee for CCV has been mooted between £5 million and £25 million. Make of that what you will. 
I'm guessing it's closer to five. Um, so I think that basically he's indicated he's okay to play at that level. And I do think if, say, he got that either alone or permanent move to Swansea where he had a preseason, he gets a little bit more comfortable, yeah. then I think his game elevates to the next level because he's kind of established himself in their system. Now he's got to kind of fine-tune a little bit. Okay, so he also signed a contract, a new mm-hmm. contract with Spurs, what, last year? I think so, yeah. Uh, maybe in the summer? Mm-hmm. Um, that goes through 2021, which you could take as... All right, he's part of our long-term mm-hmm. plans. We eventually see him playing alongside Vertonghen or Alderweireld yeah. or replacing one of or, them. Or, or they signed it so that they can sell him instead of his contract running down. Exactly, right, you keep yeah. someone in contract so that you can sell them uh, for a, a better transfer fee. Mm-hmm. Based on what we saw, I think that is way more likely. So, to answer Todd's question, would you consider it a successful season if you are looking for CCV to play for the Spurs first team? I would say no because he hasn't shown enough because you watch Vertonghen, watch Out of a Rild, watch Davidson Sanchez, he's almost there with them. These are these are top, top, top level defenders. Mm-hmm. Cameron Carter-Vickers, though very good, um, is kind of a championship defender. He looks very at home in the championship. Yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah. I would agree that then if you extend that to the national team, it's telling to me that when we were having the conversation earlier about like who could fill in at left back and if it is Aaron Long or say Matt Miazga's injured, who's the other center back? I have concerns if it's Cameron Carter-Vickers right now. I think he would be my dad's favorite player for the national team because he wants someone who like fights for everything and yeah. scraps for everything and never gives up. And I think that's Cameron Carter-Vickers. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's what we need right now in terms of a national team center back. Yeah. So maybe if he continues to develop, then yeah, great. We yeah. could use him. But right now, I would say no. I still think it is a more successful season than unsuccessful. Yes, I agree. Um, in terms of national team stuff, mm-hmm. to be successful and like, be a like, real contender to start for the national team, He's got to be hitting line-breaking passes, the type that Miazga and Brooks make, the kind of stuff that Greg Berhalter loves. His passing has improved, but not enough to be at that level mm-hmm. once again, right? So same thing with maybe play, starting for the national team and starting for Spurs. Improvement, but not enough to like take that giant leap forward where you can really say, yeah, CCV's going to be playing out of the back. It'll look great. Yeah. One, one element is maybe, uh, to the previous, to Ross's question, if it's when Vela cuts across and we just want someone to go and body Carlos yep. Vela, maybe we just glue Cameron Carter-Vickers to Carlos Vela and that makes it really tough. Yep. Maybe he's our left back. Maybe the problem has been that... For the uh, Gold Cup final against yeah, Vela. Maybe the issue is that like Jimenez has been bringing the ball down, turning and playing in Carlos Vela and you need someone to just step to Jimenez yeah. and make sure he never turns. That's coming Carter-Vickers <laughs> and then it works out. But yes, uh, for right now, I, I'm going to say mostly successful, but not quite... Certainly not at the level where we thought he might be a couple years ago of like starting for Tottenham and captaining their what U23 side as a 17 year old. U23s as a 17 year old. We really thought the like the the sky is the Mm -hmm. limit, and it turns out maybe the championship is the limit. At least for now. At least for now. Because I do. I don't want to keep it going, but I do want to add like because I'm finding myself thinking about like Premier League teams that could use him. Yeah. And. I struggle because it's not a team that's going to be like big on building out of the back, being a possession. I don't necessarily think that's his strong suit right now. But then you look at a team like Burnley, who have a defensive system. They're very defensive. They're Ooh, very physical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it's the new Ben Me with a much longer name. Well, the que- the question I would have then Burnley need more is, syllables. I mean, maybe it just abbreviates to like CV, <laughs> Cameron CV. Uh, but like then. I don't know enough about him to know, like, does he figure out a system quickly? Because that's what Burnley is all about. That's what Sean Dyche is all about. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, play the system, like, like, decrease the percentage likelihood of chances and expected goals and benefit from it. I don't know if he fits there either. So it probably comes down to, like, a team that wants a battling center back. Yeah. Uh, so basically, if West Brom get promoted, then maybe. <laughs> or Villa, short on center backs. Okay. There's, there's a chance he ends up in a low end. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay, ready for the next question? I think so. It's from Brendan Massa. Mm-hmm. Brendan Massa wants to know... When you daydream about a title or cup-winning goal for your favorite team, so Man United for you, Wolves for mm-hmm. me, 
What does it look like? Is it a wonder strike, a team goal, or an inch-perfect pass? So to be totally honest, I kind of misunderstood this question at first because I thought it was like, what moment like in, in a time when Manchester United won a cup or title do, yeah. you, do you think about fondly? And I, I think after some discussion, I'm realizing that it's more about like when you're fantasizing about your team yeah, winning. Yeah. And I guess remember, some of our teams don't win cups and leagues all the time. I'm, yeah, that? Manchester United being one I of mean, them. I mean, now, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think maybe that's part of it, I guess. But my honest answer is I kind of don't do that. And I don't mean to be like a stick in the mud or anything like that. It's just I, that's not what I think about when I think about Manchester United. It's more about how can they actually win? What do they need to do to get back to it? What would yeah. I like to see them do? But it's never like, oh, one day they're going to be back and it's going to be Paula Dybala chipping in Paul Pogba for like a great volley from outside of the box or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you it's, just pictured it. I mean, but not really. It's, it's not really that because then – Maybe it's just the way my brain is wired, but I'm instantly like, but I don't really want them to sign Dybala. And Paul, and Paul Pogba's going to Real Madrid, so that's not going to work. <laughs> so you just start bashing down your own dream as kind soon of, as you've had it. Kind of, because I guess that's where my brain is. Like, it won't let me go to that level because yeah. it's go, it sticks in reality. Well, it has been a rough few years since Ferguson, it? I mean, I, but I think that's <laughs> – honestly, I think that's kind of how I've always been. Like, yeah. the, the way I was explaining this to you off air is, like, my wife loves – going on Zillow and looking at houses that are for sale because she like fantasizes about like what could we do with this room and what would we do there and I think I'm just consistently again a stick in the mud because I'm just like yeah but we're not going to buy a house so why you would like, have one we have a house let's focus exactly let's focus on like what are you like, trying to empire why we do let's go like you know clean up a little bit organize yeah. some things and then maybe we'll like our house more like that is genuinely <laughs> how I work and again that kind of relates to Manchester United clean it's up more about, United like, maybe I like it more exactly <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a little bit of renovation. Let's hire a technical director. And let's see where the house ends up slash Manchester United ends up. So I can answer this question. I I actually deliberately answered this question by not overthinking it. I just Mm -hmm. thought, okay, picture a Wolves goal where you're celebrating. Mm -hmm. Like imagine if they had won the FA Cup, which, you know, we were one game away Mm -hmm. from getting to the FA Cup final. So I thought of it as like, what's the daydreamy way of winning the FA Cup final? The first thing that came to my head is a long-range volley. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because last season – Ruben Neves trained me to expect glorious uh-huh. long-range volleys to win matches, and I'm just—it's just in my head now that that is the way to to score magnificent goals. I find this hysterical, and I think I think part of this is cultural. That I don't know why I find this so funny. That you're English and I'm an American, but when I hear you say that, and you're like, "Here's how I picture them winning the FA Cup," my response is like. So we're focused on the FA Cup now. That's how it's gone. That's how the season's gone. Which is just something that was attainable for Wolves, right? They're not going to win um, uh, the Premier League title with, hey, a, with a glorious You don't know, man. Yeah. I, I, you don't know how they're going to invest. They might buy the rest of the Portugal squad and then see how it all plays out. Hey, let's do it. Let's do it. Maybe not Ronaldo. Um, okay, let, mm. here's a way maybe for you to answer this. What about you? Uh-huh. If you picture yourself scoring, does it have to be League Cup, scoring uh-huh. a match-winning goal yeah. for the amateur team we play on or for Richmond City that you also yep. play for, mm-hmm. how do you like visualize yourself scoring it? Is it the type of goal I've seen you score a lot? Uh, what's that? Kind of dribbling? I promise I'm not. Kind of dribbling and then shoot in the corner? No, it's probably more of the, like, like I had one this season that like is kind of my dream goal where like I think it's, it came out and I like, I think I thighed it over a defender and then took it out of the air on a volley and scored that one. Uh-huh. Like it's probably something that's like a combination of like the pretty volley with the technical. A bit of technique and control yeah. in the middle. Yeah, I can yeah. tell you that when I was a kid, when I was in like middle school, so not that long ago, but uh-huh. still long enough ago, it was definitely scoring a long range volley and then getting like crushed at the same time because it wasn't enough to score the game winning goal. You then have to like get in the ambulance and it's everybody's worried, is he going to be okay? Yeah. It was definitely a lot of drama for 14 year old Taylor. I feel like a therapist would have a lot to say about that. What do you mean <laughs> just, it's not enough you've to got score. to get hurt doing it and get the extra attention yeah that's how it works <laughs> yeah it doesn't count if you don't get hurt carol that's what the movies have taught me you want everyone chasing after you applauding john mcclain isn't pretty at the end of die hard daryl <laughs> there's got to be struggle <laughs>
Is that what you always play barefoot? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and sprinkle glass everywhere. I mean, it's a risky strategy, but yes. <laughs> All right, for me, mm. when I picture myself daydreaming about scoring a match-winning goal, which is something I do a lot. Can I guess? Yeah. Header? No. Okay. Specifically because... The type of goals I have scored are ah. normally not glorious. So when I'm daydreaming, I picture myself doing a thing. Probably the thing I do least in a soccer match, I always want to do more, is dribbling. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you see me play a lot. I don't really take people on. And I always wish that I just took people on more. So when I picture a match-winning goal, it might have a one-two in it, but it definitely involves me going past someone, same, going past one or two people. Same point that you just made about me. I feel like, again, a therapist could maybe dissect that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. The, thing I, the thing I want to do the most is the thing I don't do. Well, but yeah, but also, like, because I did find myself wondering, like, what do you think it is that stops you from doing it? Is it is it a fear of being a defender and getting caught out? Or is it... No, it's... Uh, I, I think I'm overly responsible uh-huh. when I play. I'm always thinking about marking. I'm always thinking about defending. I'm always thinking about not losing the ball. Mm-hmm. So I tend to look look for a pass and honestly I look for a pass to a more attacking player like you or, mm-hmm. or someone else and it never occurs to me that I might be the guy that needs to like do a step over and a cut and go I, and maybe it is in case I lose the ball and then we have to defend you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying so I think I'm a little too safety first for wanting to do that much dribbling you're lucky but when I daydream I'm all dribbling you're lucky the season's over why is that because I would just like in our next game I would just keep giving you the ball and just like not not dribble at all I'd just pass it right back to you be like nope you gotta dribble and if you pass it to somebody else I'd like go get it off of them and pass yeah, it back yeah. to you like no 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 no, no. <laughs> time for you to dribble sir we've been oh this is maybe a little too inside baseball mm-hmm. we've been talking about in our practices of maybe mm-hmm. Getting people to, away to uh, overcome their habits. Uh-huh. So maybe if you sort of set my habit as not dribbling enough, you get me to dribble more in practice. All right. Yeah. And my thing I have to overcome is uh, screaming at geriatric referees. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? If you stand 20 yards behind the offside line, I'm going to yell at you. That's how it works. <laughs> That's how it works. Especially if you get the calls wrong. Uh, yes. That, naming, no, naming no names. But also that guy. We're naming no names because we don't know his name, but he knows who he is. I'm sure he's listening, and I'm sure he's hurt. Uh, he did tell me that now would be a good time to be quiet, to which I responded, oh, would it? And then, and then I walked See, away. I was yelling at him as well. I thought he was talking to me. Uh, he probably was. <laughs> you and I are usually pretty good about not losing our call. You especially mm-hmm. – yeah, we lost it a little bit on Sunday. On that a couple one, of occasions. That one made me mad. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. All right. Because it was just clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. All right. We have deviated from the yeah, topic. Yeah, people so let's get back this. to it. Yeah. Final question on the day comes from Andrew McGalliard, who asks, why don't we see more MLS teams also having women's teams? So essentially, MLS teams with co-ownership of NWSL teams, mm-hmm. right? And for those who don't know... There are four teams in the NWSL. Don't worry, there hasn't been a contraction. There are four teams of the eight teams yeah. in the NWSL that I think it's really important to say they're not owned by MLS teams, mm-hmm. but there's an ownership group that owns both an NWSL team and an MLS team. Mm-hmm. Utah Royals shares ownership group with Ralph Salt Lake. Orlando Pride with, you guessed it, Orlando City. Um, Houston Dash with Houston Dynamo. And Portland Thorns with Portland Timbers. Mm-hmm. That is the setup in NWSL right now. I have a question for you because yeah. I genuinely don't know the answer to this. Is part of the nuance to this that technically even if you own an MLS team, you don't actually own that team. You own like their percentage stake of the league because isn't that how it works? Well, there's also that single entity. Well. Yeah, NWSL so, is also single entity. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. So, so you buy into the league. Exactly. Yeah. So that maybe explains part of it, why you don't have that. Um, but I think the larger issue of why you don't have more MLS teams uh, – I guess not necessarily owning or ha- like, but like having a women's team affiliated with them is, I think, money. I think MLS clubs still don't have that much money. They're <laughs> like, not profit centers. No, they're not. Uh-huh. And you have plenty of. T- I mean, DC United, Minnesota United still have like pay-to-play academies. Mm-hmm. They're going to fix that pretty soon, I believe. But you still. I mean, that's indicative to me of this sort of situation with a lot of, of a lot of teams in Major League Soccer and how they're trying to develop players to play for their teams. Mm-hmm. And then I think. 
other teams uh, that, like to help grow the women's game, for example, I think that's very much secondary to a lot of owners and organizations. And if you think of it as an ownership group, say it's an LLC, which mm-hmm. I look into this, most of these are LLCs, right? Um, the LLC is responsible for you know financing one team. If you're sort of struggling to keep up with that, mm-hmm. why would you add a second team that you're trying to finance as well? You just put an extra strain on your resources, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I think the main, yeah, the main thing is just uh, ownership groups don't want to spend the extra money to run a whole extra team. Mm-hmm. You got to, you got to staff up. You got to roster up. You got to get infrastructure in place. You got to sh- maybe share a stadium. Then suddenly you make your stadium situation way yep. more complicated. Or you need some sort of secondary stadium. It gets really complicated once you're trying to run. Yeah, two I teams. mean NYCFC, where where would their women's team play their games? Are uh-huh. they going to also play at Yankee Stadium because that's already difficult? So you have got to find them at somewhere the else. Stadium? Then oh boy, then you're <laughs> paying a lot more money uh, to have to deal with a lot of other issues. Yeah, um, worth noting, I think. Uh, uh, LAFC are exploring it. I think Mia Hamm has talked about that publicly. Mm. So maybe there will be a fifth. And maybe there's a lot of money behind LAFC, yeah. right? They're, don't they have like 500 owners and half of them are celebrities? Yep. Yeah. Like and will Ferrell's always with the Falcon. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, so I think LAFC might be one. I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta looked into something in yeah. the in the near to medium future because Arthur Blank's got the money, yes. right? It would not be a problem for him to have another team on his roster exactly. of teams. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think this is maybe a good time to mention that. Uh, the, the Barcelona situation, mm-hmm. not least because I've just I've read about it and tweeted about it. Yeah. Um, so Barcelona have been looking into um, buying into NWSL and having a, a Barcelona franchise in NWSL, mm-hmm. right? The sticking point, it turns out, I read this in Sports Media Pro, is that um, it, it's the jersey, not sponsorship, but the jersey manufacturing deal. Mm-hmm. So single entity, uh, Nike, their deal with NWSL ends in 2019. Barcelona's deal goes through 2023. And Barcelona are essentially saying, hey, if we join the league... Even though it's single entity and we're buying into that, we want to just be able to maintain all our own uh, manufacturing deal with Nike, for one thing. If you guys change, then we're not changing. Also, our own sponsorships as well. So they want to keep the very uh, keep it separate, yep. essentially, because they. I think they want to be able to sell. They have their own uh, in uh, the the women's league. I can't, sorry, I can't remember the name of it. Mm-hmm. And they have bus, the, the Barcelona team there. Mm-hmm. I think they have the same jersey sponsorship, the same everything. Yep. So then they can just sell the entire product, right? Mm-hmm. If you then have to clash with the single entity rules about like, well, the official pain relief of Andy Vassell is this, but then the Barcelona one is this, then suddenly th- there's a clash. Yep. They want exceptions to that, and Andy Vassell will not give them those exceptions. The other question I had about this, I do want to talk more about that, but my other question was, uh, did you read where they would be looking to put said Barcelona team? No, I read speculation, but Mm -hmm. none of it official that maybe LA or Miami. Okay. Somewhere sunny. That's about what I figured. Yeah. And then it's worth clarifying because this did seem to confuse some people. It's not as though Barcelona would then move their women's team to the United States. Uh, It would be a a Barcelona, basically, feeder system for their yeah. women's team, pretty much. And it might be called Barcelona-Los Angeles yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that, or Barcelona-Miami, I, I would assume. Mm-hmm. The thing is then... Inter-Miami-Barcelona. Do it. Where Do did, it. Where would the best players go? If there was a really great player who was neither Spanish nor American, say a great um, French player... Do they play for the uh, Barcelona in Spain team, or do they play for the Barcelona in the NWSL team? They, they really, you'd find out the hierarchy of their women's teams once they have two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and that's probably another concern for NWSL because if it goes the European route, yeah. then suddenly you're looked at as a reserve league. Yes, you've got a reserve team, and uh-huh. that's probably not a thing they're too inclined to yeah. uh, to go for. So it feels to me like I mean, I've no inside knowledge, but it feels to me like maybe this isn't happening, and maybe because of the single entity structure, you'll run into a lot of problems. Uh, with teams, big European teams, who want to maintain their sort of brand identity. Yeah, and and I want to say this: like 
I this I don't have all the facts. Obviously, I'm not an expert when it comes to the NWSL, but I will say I understand where NWSL is coming from with this. Yeah, because similar to Major League Soccer. Like even a few years ago, but certainly when they like contracted and got rid of the uh, Tampa Bay and Miami franchises, like they're like the league is still uh, not necessarily under threat, but it's still in a risky position. And Boston Breakers folded. There you go. Yeah, um, Utah Royals. That team exists because someone had to buy the Kansas City franchise because exactly. that was struggling. Yeah. yeah, and so if you're the league and you're looking at it as like, no, we need sponsors, and those sponsors want assurances that every team is going to be mm-hmm. using that, and they're going to be the official provider of blank for the entire league. You have to be able to give that because otherwise, if you give one exception to one team, you kind of give it to everybody else, and then you're you're losing a source of revenue that you need as a league. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that's me looking too much as like at the league and them needing to protect themselves, uh, and maybe if the individual teams do it, then they'll be better for it, and the like, quality will improve. Yeah, but I understand why NWSA would be hesitant to give away those rights or those kind of responsibilities and certainly understand why they'd be hesitant to do so to a team who that may then end up having like a farm team in the United States. I think I'm confident in making this argument. Um, single entity, you can argue with MLS. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've reached, we've gone beyond the point of needing to be secure and safe yeah. where maybe we can start loosening things up, right? Which is what they do with the designated players and TAMs. That's their way of loosening things up. We could loosen things up more, mm-hmm. a lot more, right? NWSL, even though it's the longest running professional women's league now, um, it's still somewhat in survival mode, right? So for me, single entity makes sense because it offers financial protections. Yep. At least in the short term, it makes sense. So I wouldn't be too mad if they just hold the line and say, no, Barca, we're not giving you all these sort of um, mm-hmm. exceptions. We have to maintain our structure. So yeah. it would make sense to me. Yeah. I, 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 Even though I kind of like to see a Barcelona team over here because I think it would look kind of cool. I would have yeah. no problem with that. Uh, I do wish uh, Major League Soccer would uh, not have a like one uniform supplier uh, equipment supplier like for the entire league yeah yeah because and at least they should have uh, different jerseys if they did that there you go that would be nice <laughs> but it's also like i think because mls has like there's a lot of very like intense local fandom for different teams yeah i feel like you could get like local manufacturers and you could get different approaches and you could get like small startups that want to be larger equipment providers yeah, yeah. kind of coming in and being competitive oh, that's interesting i i would i would enjoy deviation from the kind of standard template jerseys that we've yeah. seen in I recent think, memory. But there's just too much money, right? Like yep. when Adidas strikes that deal with MLS, they, mm-hmm. I think they pay pretty handsomely. Mm-hmm. And so it's worth it to Major League Soccer to strike that deal, even if you get some pretty bland uniforms out yep. of it. Strike <laughs> yeah. that deal. Strike that deal. Um, a deal you might want to strike with us is to go to totalsoccershow.com slash join, mm-hmm. where you can then financially support the show. If you subscribe at $10 a month or more, we guarantee to answer one of your listener questions per month right here on the Total Soccer Show. Unless the question is like, list your 100 favorite players of all time. Yeah, I could probably do that. I mean, you could, but it would take the whole show. It'd be a really boring show. It'd just be you reading 100 names, right? Pretty much. Yeah. But I would require you to write them down, I think. Yeah, and a bit of advice for people asking questions. We answer a lot of questions, right? But we also, we only manage to answer a very small percentage of the questions we get because a lot of questions go to totalsockshow.com slash questions. Here's a question asking tip. Mm. Keep it short. Mm -hmm. Just one, maybe two short sentences with a question mark at the end mm-hmm. those are our favorite questions to answer yeah and Daryl always likes ones that begin with like Daryl sure is handsome and here's my question that, that'll get you right to the top of the queue <laughs> you know we're gonna get at least one of those probably right? probably <laughs> I also feel like naming our 20 favorite players is a show that Jason Davis has done 
I feel like that's the thing that he would have done in the past. Like I could I'm see, serious? I could see him like discussing amongst himself who his favorite players <laughs> amongst are, amongst himself, and he could pull it off and make it entertaining. He could. Mm-hmm. That's why he's a very talented man. There we are. <laughs> um, a reminder again: uh, Jason has his new podcast. He right? does. Uh, miscellaneous FC, Misc FC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, that's the proper with title. With Peter yes. Fier, Misc FC. You guys had a debate about what it was actually called, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. Speaking of mixed stuff, we should we should wrap this up. I suppose so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, this is the Thursday show. I think we won't be doing a Friday show. Not least because um, by the time you hear this, I will have uh, started my latest round of chemotherapy. So I'm going to be taking a few days off for that. Taylor, I assume, will be back on Monday uh, with the weekend review of the Premier League finale. It's the final episode of the Premier League. With not a lot of drama, yeah. aside from the title race. How many dragons in the Premier League? Uh, no comment. Do not answer that one. Ooh, Just boy. Cardiff. Are they still in there? What? Oh, yeah, I guess for now they are. Yeah, for now. They've got one they more got game. one more play. game, yeah. yeah. I was like, what? What's happening? What's going on? So I will say, uh, Taylor Rockwell, yeah. thank you for taking the time to talk to me today and all this week. There are 40 dragons. <laughs> Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will be back with more Total Soccer Show next week. So, see you, Mr. Adolowski.